0: Hello, welcome to episode 14 of the All Proud Podcast. I'm pretty stoked that I've been able to get out a few more episodes, pretty rapid fire. Uh, I wish it was due to better circumstances, but hey, we're all keeping busy. I've Got a couple of other ones in the works, but this episode, I'm very stoked to release. Uh, I'm talking to Caleb from Sugar Creek Malt in uh, Indiana. And if you don't know, Sugar Creek malt is doing some really incredible stuff. Um, Not just uh, your typical, you know, Pilsner malts and crystal malts. um, While they also do a lot of that to pay the bills, uh, they are doing some very cool custom smoked malts. We're talking about uh, not just birch or some of the other typical woods. You might have smoked malts, like if you're a fan of the German-style smoked beer from Bamberg, but he's actually... Doing like burning Tabasco barrels or wine barrels, uh, he actually uh, will do a custom smoked wood for customers. Uh, he he's also doing cold smoked um, malts, so something that is a little bit lighter. We're talking herbal like lavender. That's the big one. I, I had the pleasure of recently speaking with uh, Avery, formerly Jester King. Now she has a project called Keeping Together, and she swears that. Caleb's lavender smoked malt gave this beautiful like mezcal quality to her uh, one of her next beers. Um, In addition to all that, they are well they own or have built the second biggest soinhus, which is a Nordic uh, smoke house or or, you know malting house uh, in the world. So this is traditional for uh, maltsters in uh, traditional Nordic farmhouse regions uh it was a passion project for caleb and not only did he build the only one in north america but it's the second biggest in the world where they're you really doing um traditional uh nordic style smoked malts um great timing on this one i was able to just get in a conversation with him right around the time that uh Lars Marius Garschel released Historical Brewing Techniques, and I had also recently finished Mika Leitenen's Viking Age Brew. I recommend both those books if you're interested in Nordic farmhouse brewing and how you might be able to apply some of Caleb's products. Before we get into the episode, I do want to talk about one other thing related to Altbrow. If you have been following along, you know that Altbrow... Uh, has been doing collaborations since 2013, and all of our beers are um, owned, brewed, bottled, sold by the host brewery. Um, we've been super lucky to do collabs with folks like Degard um, up in Oregon, um, been out to Germany and, and brewed with Freygeist. Um, in my hometown of Fresno, I brewed with Tioga Sequoia, um, you know, here in the Bay Area. I've done stuff with our friends at Freewheel and Seven Stills. And it's really been an incredible um seven years that all brow has been doing this. I would say the most important relationship uh that I developed in that time was probably with um Steve Doty at Shady Oak Barrel House in Santa Rosa, California. We started doing a collaboration and um, back in two thousand eighteen Actually, it may have been late 17. And uh, from there, you know, we talked and I told him what my goals were for, for brown And it required me, you know, picking up some barrels and having a little bit more control. You know, it's great doing collaborations where you get to walk into a, a barrel house full of product and you get to just blend whatever you want. But I kind of wanted to have some creative control from the start. Um, so after our collaboration... Uh, which would be called Cellar Cellar Wizard Omani, uh, part of his Cellar Wizard series, we did um, two more beers, Secret Army and New Lexicon. And these were completely um, uh, designed by me. And uh, we used those beers to kind of raise awareness of an Indiegogo project that I launched in 2018. And it was a successful um, campaign. And with that money, I was able to purchase a bunch of barrels, some racks, a bottle filler off of Degard, and some other equipment. And um, I've been storing it at Shady Oak. And since we were going to be sh- you know, storing everything there, we decided let's do some more collaborations. And even further into um, letting me control the process. So we finally are selling some bottles. And when I say we, I mean Steve at Shady Oak. Um, he has given me an opportunity to to demonstrate what i'm about and in return he will be selling the product and you know any investment in infrastructure uh, any money made especially right now with the pandemic going on it will go into the infrastructure at shady oak which will make it so that i will continue to be able to produce beers there and actually we will have a you know better equipment and uh and just be more capable. I will say that, you know, if I could do it all over again, I probably would have spent the Indiegogo money to get myself all licensed and legit a long time ago. That is now in process. Um, but yeah, all of our beers coming out through Shady Oak um, will be sold through Shady Oak with, you know, my branding, I guess you could say. Um, and and it's very clear that uh, my recipes are... You know, if you know Steve and you know me, you've tasted our beers. It's it's very different beers, but um, he's got a great space. He's been incredible to work with. So, with all that said, sorry for the long intro, but we got just a couple more seconds here. Um, all, if I'm releasing this as I planned, it'll be Monday, the third. No, excuse me, Monday the fourth of May. Wednesday, the sixth of May. We're going to be doing two sessions online, uh, for folks to, uh, pick up some of these creations from the Shady Oak web store. So let me, I'm going to post, I'm posting up a website that's going to have all the details. So let me skim over that and I'll give you some of those here before we get into the episode with Caleb. Um, so we're talking about two sessions, uh, one in the afternoon and one in the evening on Wednesday, May 6th. I have, uh set up, um, a, a set of six bottles, and that's going to go for $80. And that is basically pretty much one of everything I've done, uh, with a couple of exceptions. And you'll see when you go to the website. Um, and those are one per person. And then we have a, a couple different sets of three bottles, by the way, all these bottles are 500 milliliter, unless otherwise stated. Um, so, we're gonna have, um, let me see three, four th- regular three bottle packages of five hundred mil bottles. some of them as little as four total available, some as many as twenty four in that set. and these will be two per person as in other words, you can get up to one six pack uh, uh, package from that first thing I mentioned, or you, and you can get, two of the three bottle packages for up to 12 500 milliliter bottles. That is the limit. More information on the website. Um, also in the three bottle section is some cellared beers, some 2018 releases, including all three of the original collabs I did with Steve. We're talking about the cellar wizard, Omani, the secret army and new Lexicon. And those are 750 mil bottles. Those are pickup only. And that will go as far as limits towards the same um, three bottle package limit so you can pick that up but we're not going to be shipping that. We'll get, talk about shipping in just a second. We also have a single magnum, the only magnum I've done so far, and it's of one of my beers called Sound of the Beast. More info online. We'll have some t-shirts, a couple glasses that are left um yeah, let's you know I'll, I'll I'm skimming through. Um the big thing I want to mention is that for pickup orders gratuity is automatically added, but it it is adjustable during checkout. So don't get mad at me and say, Oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know there was going to be gratuity added. Well, I'm stating it now on the podcast. I'm putting it on the website and uh, it is adjustable during checkout. Now, All that gratuity goes to the staff at Shady Oak who have lost a lot of income uh, due to the taproom having to close because of COVID-19. So any and all gratuity is much appreciated. We've talked about limits. Pickup is normal um, hours at Shady Oak. So that's Thursday and Friday, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. Saturday and Sunday, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Obviously, you need to have an ID, be 21 and up. The name on the order must match the name on the card. Uh, we will have an option for shipping only in California through GSO. Uh, that's a $25 fee for a shipping box. We haven't ordered those yet, so we're not gonna be able to start packing like immediately after the sale. I'm basically seeing how many shipping boxes I need to purchase. So we will get to those as soon as possible. Um, California only, uh, recipient must be 21 and up with a valid ID. Um, proxies. So I have some friends and I've been very fortunate through like Carnival Myces to make some friends overseas who are interested, but they can't get the beer here in California. So if you would like to assign a proxy, you need to email me at tim at altbrow.com and we can arrange uh, a one, one person to one to proxy for one other person. I'm not doing big groups where one person's going to proxy for like 10, I'm not doing that. Uh, but we, if you have somebody, a friend in California who can pick up or have it shipped to them, we can work something out. Just email me. Um, okay. So sorry for the long, long intro. This Caleb interview is much more interesting than that sale. So thank you very much for listening. This is episode 14 with Caleb from Sugar Creek Malt. Enjoy. Enjoy. doing good how about yourself I'm doing all right thanks for taking time to to talk to us today um i've been following you on social media for a bit and i saw the piece that came out in pellicle uh that did a, it was a really kind of um beautiful look at, at the work you do and um I, I recommend for any of the listeners who are curious about what caleb does to check out uh it's a public web publication i guess you could say uh called pellicle uh do you remember the name of the writer for that
1: piece uh david uh Nielsen or nielsen i can't i don't remember don't know how to pronounce his last name but yeah David nielsen
0: yeah so um if, could you give us just like a, a little quick summary about some of the work you do and um the malt you're making and kind of what sets you apart from some of the other malting facilities out there
1: yeah, so yeah, first of all, yeah David did an amazing job kind of capturing the overall atmosphere and the kind of feel that I've I don't, I don't know, just the, the, the overall um, romance and, and, and atmosphere that we've kind of tried to build here and with, with what we're making. And I just love that, that article that he did. Um, but yeah, so we started uh, a little over five years ago. Now we actually started malting. When we started then, we had one steep tank and one germination floor. Um, pneumatic, you know, not high high tech, but not old school either. It's kind of the in between. I grew up on a farm, um, and we pretty much built most of the things ourselves, most of our equipment and everything. So it's um, it's farm farm tech, <laughs> farm right. engineering. So it, it's um,
0: effective. Uh...
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it does the job. It doesn't look the prettiest, but it does the job. So um, it does a good job too. So yeah, we started five years ago with one steep tank and one germination floor. Um, um, started making just base malts back then, just trying to get those kind of dialed in. Trying to figure out, number one, what varieties to even, of barley to even, that'll even grow in Indiana, because nobody had been doing that since before Prohibition. Um, so and there was no research being done even at the universities of what barley varieties that will even grow in Indiana. Um, so that was a big hurdle for us at the beginning, is trying to figure out just what even to grow. Um, once we kind of got that figured out, we really started getting our base malts really dialed in um, and after I felt pretty comfortable with those we then expanded to doing some cold smoke malts um, so we built a cold smoker um, and we have the largest variety of cold smoke malts anywhere in the world um, so we'll do anything from any kind of fruit wood hardwood you know the, the normal things that you would think of to things like cardamom or pimento wood or Uh, lavender or, you know, any, any herb, um, we've done all kinds of barrel smoked malts. So we've done bourbon barrel, smoked malts, uh, Tabasco barrel, smoked malts, you know, all kinds of things with that. So that was kind of our, our first step out into the, uh, the unknown, I guess, um, playing around with those. Um, and then two years ago we built a, a roaster or we built our own handmade roaster, um, we started making a ton of crystal malts and chocolate malts and not just the normal i mean we make the normal things with that but we also have made things like you know, chocolate corn or crystal carolina gold rice um, um, caramel corn things like that so we've also really experimented with that um, <clears throat> we also around the same time that we built a roaster we kind of expanded into doing some We have another line of malts that we call our limited limited release malts, which are just kind of rare grains that usually typically aren't malted. Um, So we started playing around with that a lot. Um, We've done buckwheat, um, a ton of different varieties of corn. I really like malting corn, one of my favorite things to do. Um, We've done uh, Carolina Gold Rice, um, which is the heirloom variety of rice out of like Charleston area that really kind of built that whole That's where all the plantations were kind of built on with Carolina gold back then. Um, We just did a batch of einkorn recently. um, And then I think we're going to do a batch of some more. We did uh, popcorn last couple weeks ago, some red popcorn. um, And then I think we're also going to do uh, a black rice the, the forbidden China black rice, which is just this amazing rice that you're cooked with. I'm really excited to malt it and see how the flavors come across in beer. Um, so yeah, we did that about two years ago, also started kind of started that program of the limited release grains. And like I said, we'll take, we'll take a grain, we'll malt it and make a pale malt, um, but also take a few hundred pounds of that and make a crystal malt of that. So for malting rice or malting corn, we'll make the crystal version of that. Um, if, and then we'll also do a chocolate and we'll do a chocolate corn or a chocolate rice, things like that too. It sounds Um, like you've been
0: incredibly busy.
1: Yeah, and then uh, then last year we built a sign uh, a traditional uh, Norwegian swing hoose. So I was, I was hoping
0: uh, you were going to tell me how to properly pronounce that because yeah, it's actually
1: yeah. properly pronounced. I, I I say sign house is it's it's more Americanized. It's um, but the traditional nor you know the Norwegians call it it's sewing hoose.
0: All right. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to have to hear that a couple times when
1: I play. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of like sewing almost like you're sewing like needle needle and thread sewing like sewing mm-hmm. sewing
0: Deuce. Yeah, I had a previous episode with uh, my friend Aiden, who's from Sweden, and trying to pronounce uh, anything from some of the, the the languages out there. It's I'm just the typical like white dude from America that speaks barely speaks English properly. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like, barely. I, I'm, the I'm same barely way. getting
1: by. So <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. So that's why I say when I go into breweries, it's, I kind of feel like us. a. I kind of feel like an idiot when I say swing who, so I just say, because when when you look at it, like the American, if you look at it as a, as a English speaker, kind of sign house, you know, kind of makes more sense. So for us, um, when we're trying to pronounce it, so, um, so that's kind of how I, I, how I say it, but it's incorrect. That's,
0: that's definitely the, um, I will all admit that's, uh, the main Kind of feature that got me originally interested in what you were doing, and then that was before I knew about all the uh, really cool cold smoke and uh, custom smoke and and interesting barrels, like the Tabasco barrel sounds crazy to me. But it was originally the uh, the Nordic inspired stuff. I I just finished, uh, you know, since everyone has time to read right now. Uh, Damn, you got that book? I'm still waiting on mine <laughs> to come in. You have I, it? I already ah, finished. I'm so so yeah, historical brewing techniques by Lars Marius Garshol. And I, uh, f- the week before I got that, I had finished uh, Mika Leighton's Viking Age brew, so yeah. I was yep. ready. I was definitely ready to talk to you, and that's actually how, the conversation. Um, just for the listeners, you guys remember, I think it was episode twelve. I interviewed, um, Pete and Lindsay from Harvest Roots in Alabama, and we're in a private text group along with Richard Price from Escarpment, Charlie Johnson, who was on another episode with me. Aiden from Sweden's in the text group, Matt Humbert and a lot of people are in this text group. And I just in passing mentioned that I was just really fascinated with what you were doing. And all of a sudden I get, I see a, a Instagram, uh, private message popping up and it's Pete setting us up on this blind date podcast, essentially. Yeah, so, it was really romantic. It yeah. was a good blind
1: date setup. So. Yeah.
0: So thanks Pete. I appreciate the awkward <laughs> introduction. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that, that that's definitely what caught my attention, and then I was able to, you know, getting ready for this podcast, do a little more research, and I and we had talked uh, in you know in that group and with other people. I actually had a phone uh, or a Zoom conference call with Avery from uh, Keeping Together, formerly from Jester King, and she was really um, speaking highly of the lavender smoked malt. She said it, it's given her net, her her newest beer kind of this like mezcal quality. Yeah, and so you're you're doing all this, and you're also uh, father you got two small kids right
1: yeah we've uh, we got a three-year-old and a uh, one-month-old so yeah it's been a little hectic in the last month <laughs>
0: yeah I can only imagine
1: yeah the three-year-old's been kind of my shadow uh trying to <laughs> trying to let mom kind of have her her, her time San- with her sanity the, uh, yeah her sanity <laughs> a little bit so I take him and he's been working with me a lot the last few weeks so
0: yeah, well, again, that that really uh, even more so confirms that. You know, I just want to say thanks for taking time to to talk to me today. Yeah, no problem. No um, problem. So now that we've kind of gotten into a little bit about what you do, um, I wanted to, you know, I, this podcast. We don't get too into the technical stuff. I'm not going to ask um, about specific, you know, um, numbers you're trying to hit. But how, you know, when you're doing these, um, you're doing these very Nordic farmhouse inspired. Um, old school malting techniques um but at the same time you are providing uh, malt for like larger companies and for the stuff that's more mainstream malt at, do you have to compartmentalize it all as far as like one one group of malts is going to be more um kind of science forward and really hitting numbers that are required and then some other stuff is you're you're loosening the grip a little bit and kind of I'm looking at it more from an artistic side or do you feel like it's kind of all it all falls under the umbrella for it, same umbrella for you
1: um a little bit of both so for sure i have like i have two different malt houses here um like no doubt in my mind there are two different malt houses we have our production malt house that we make um close to a million pounds of malt a year is what we've been doing the last couple of years um, of base malts um so we make anything from pilsner to pale ale to a yield which is like our type of marisot or like a little bit darker of a, of an English pale ale. And then Vienna, Munich, uh, a couple wheats, white wheat, red wheat, Munich, or, um, and then rye also. So that's kind of our main production. And that for sure is like numbers, consistency, um, quality, consistency, numbers, all that kind of stuff. And that's more of the science-based side of it. Um, and then, like I said, at the beginning here, after I got that kind of those base malts more or less dialed in, um at, after about a year year and a half you know I, i've still been tweaking them you know um every year we get new barley crop in so we always have to kind of start from not from scratch but kind of re re-examine how we're malting and and kind of and kind of go from there um, and tweak it a bit so after we got that kind of um comfortably where i want it to be then then that's where the artistic side of me kind of started coming out and that's where the cold smokes st- started and the roasting is you know kind of a mix of both you know that kind of has to be more scientific but also i i really our roaster is very um very hands-on there's no computers there's no anything it's it's all smelling and tasting and and we have a literally a like a, a brew temperature probe that a home brew temperature probe that you put in your kettle just like a, a a dial probe that's all i that's all i use for that um, So it's a, I use that to kind of check the temperature, but most of the time I'm just taking out samples and and eating it and smelling it and and tasting it and kind of seeing where it's at. Um,
0: Yeah. I wanted to actually get into the um, sensory aspect because I I watched a video. There was a collaboration kind of um, Nordic farmhouse session. I think you had Tim from burial and a couple of other folks out there. You guys did like a Stein beer. Yeah. And, so, and you also maybe did you guys also do use a kerna in anything?
1: Um, we didn't, not not necessarily kerna. We did. It, we just kind of we we boiled in a in a barrel. Okay. We had a yeah. ten or fifteen gallon barrel.
0: I remember seeing that video, and there was a quick clip where somebody just was talking about loving like the smell of the room. I think it may have been yeah. you that said it. And um, I you know in preparing for this interview, I started researching kind of like. I had read those two books, which I thought were the best um, as far as in that subject, but also um, Viking malt has a series of videos on Vimeo that were pretty interesting. And they kind of talk about the sensory side of it. How, I mean, of course you're using uh, scientific equipment to actually like check sugar and, and everything and like enzymatic action, but how much of it do you feel is based on your own kind of like, you know, like you've done it enough times that you can pick up on sensory, like, what, what 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 are you looking for like when you're uh, on a sensory level like when you're walking into the to the mall house
1: yeah for sure like i can completely tell how how well like if we get a new batch of grain and like once it starts germinating i can completely tell how clean it is from molds or anything like that or or how how quickly it's growing just by the just by the smells and, and, and looking at it for sure. Um, so the cucumber, the, the there's there's this I don't know if you've ever been in a malt house when grain's germinating, but there's this beautiful like fresh cut cucumber smell or
0: I'll take that as an bre- invitation.
1: Yeah. Come on out. (laughs) Um, or, or like uh, when you're emptying a steep tank, you get like this, this almost like banana nut bread smell, um, coming off of the grain. Like there, there's all these smells that you should smell at certain steps of the process. And if you, if it smells a little off and it smells different, then you know that something else, something wrong is, is going on. Um, and so just, yeah, just in the, in the, in the main malt house, there are all kinds of sensory things. So then you walk out of that malt house and you have the roaster and there are all, there's just thousands of sensory things going on there um, that you're checking the entire time. And then you get out down to the sign house, which is just sensory overload at that point, because you have the grain germinating on the floor. You have the smoke coming off, you have the moisture coming off the grain. Um, which is has a, it has its own flavor or its own aroma. Um, it's not just smoke. There's also like if you've ever if you've seen any of the videos on my Instagram, um, it looks like a ton of smoke going through the grain when I'm when I'm when I'm drying it. That's actually mostly moisture coming off of it. The steam. Um, yeah, just the steam coming off, and that that alone has its own just beautiful aroma coming off. Um, so yeah, like that's I mean that's kind of what what I think David captured so well in that pellicle um, article is just just the sensory overload that goes on it's like i'm it it, it sometimes feels like a willy wonka in the chocolate factory but for malt like it's just it's just everywhere you go there's just some type of smell just overtaking you yeah um,
0: um so when you're you're talking about like you know what things are supposed to smell like at certain steps or or what they're supposed to i imagine even the texture like when you're drying you're feeling, you know, you're you're taking a bite of a you know and you know, you know, kind of how dry it needs to be, but when you're developing all these experimental, um, varieties that you've be kind of become known for, um, how are you doing like test batches? Because obviously like you don't have like, uh, I don't, yeah, you... I don't, <laughs> I
1: don't do test batches. Okay, I don't, just I, and that's, it. I just go for it. And that's a good thing. And I've dumped a lot of batches. I've, I've luckily my, uh, my dad raises hogs. And so we've got, we've got an (laughs) outlet for grain that doesn't make the, make, make the cut. Um, But I've had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of batches that I've had to dump, but I really don't. um, I just go for it. I kind of do a lot of, I I, I was just talking to my wife about this today, actually, about how when I get into something, I get like super, just crazy over, over the top, like involved with it. And I just dive, dive into it and do a ton of research. Um, And so I, you know, I kind of know, what I'm looking for, even before I go into it, but um, but yeah, I wish I had a little like a little
0: pilot system, ten or
1: twenty yeah. pound system that I could do some test batches with, because that would be nice. I but, just imagine that there's um, going
0: to be some sensory that you're not that you don't right. know because you've never used this specific malt or yeah. this process, so you don't really yeah. know you're just but at the same time i imagine with as much experimentation as you've done you and 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 it comes with a lot of theory it's not just theory but it's practice and you probably have at least somewhat of an idea of like well this is this is somewhat like this other thing and
1: so right yeah. so uh, for instance so for instance after we so we we tried to we, and we kind of stopped the production of it i'm i'm sitting in the sign house right now during while we're talking because that's the only quiet place I can get to but <laughs> and it's and it's empty right now I'm not I'm not doing any production in it I should be doing some Baltic oven malts right now um, but with everything going on with COVID um, my sales have just completely plummeted so I didn't have storage I don't have I don't have storage to have a ton of malt sitting on hand so I'm gonna do the Baltic the oven malts next year um, but we tried I, I did do a first batch of that um, and I had I had serious issues with it. Um, I've never, so the oven malts are, it's still dried over an open or, or over a fire, but there's a, um, a barrier in between it. So you're trying, it's almost like radiant heat at that point. Um, so I was trying to do a batch of Baltic oven, uh, rye about three weeks ago, right before, uh, we had our earth, I guess five weeks ago now, right before we had our daughter. Um, and I tried to convert our, our swing kiln into a oven kiln, um, which is what's typically used in Russia and lot in, and, uh, Latvia, and kind of that, that Baltic region. Um, and, uh, it just, it, it didn't dry fast enough. Um, and we had some mold issues. And so I had to dump that whole batch. So that was like a thousand pounds of grain that I dumped. Um, so that happens that for sure happens a lot here. Um, but it's, part of what makes keeps me going you know i fail at something and i try to figure out why i failed at it and what went wrong um and i think i've figured out a solution to that we'll see the next batch i do but um but yeah it's definitely a part of it
0: there's a common kind of idea amongst um funky sour wild ale producers that um good brewers are definitely always dumping beer like if you're not you're not a good wild ale producer if you're not willing to dump a bad batch yeah you um, have to yeah and so it's it's kind of refreshing to hear that you're taking that same approach um yeah uh
1: i've dumped a lot i've i've dumped too many too 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 much grain <laughs> over the last five years right. but but you have to if you i can't i can't send something out that i'm not you know I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent on, you know, that that's happened before things, things slip, um, you know, as, as they do. Um, but in, as much as I can, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure everything that I send out is, is, is what it should be.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, so where can people find your malt? Because, uh, first of all, tell everyone where you're located and kind of who your bigger accounts are maybe. But I I mean, I, I was surprised to find out that, uh, a local brewery here in the Bay Area, um, was using your malt, and in fact, he actually one of the brewers delivered me a growler. So I did not expect to get to tr- try a beer with your malt. Uh, I posted that uh, I was going to be talking to you, and he called me. He's like, "I'm going to give you a growler." Uh, who was it? Uh, it's Fort Point. So Fort Point oh, cool. yeah, how is it? Have you had it? I, I'm about to open it. I was waiting to tell you about it. Uh, so, so basically, let me pull up the recipe. It was, um,
1: I'm trying to remember what we smoked. We did a smoke malt for them. Well, I'm trying to remember yeah, what it was. So, was it red oak. Well, yeah, it was the red oak. They, okay, yeah.
0: so they're, they're known, well, one of their flagship beers is called Manzanita and they've been basically charring logs of Manzanita and throwing them in their mash. And I know that they're, they're hoping to get some like custom smoked malt, I think is the, the goal long-term, but obviously everything's kind of slowed down right now. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they, they did, yeah, let me find the recipe. So Felipe um, is a brewer down in um, San Jose who him and his wife or a girlfriend partner, Wendy, have a project called Foxdale Fermentation. I actually invited them out to Carnival Brutanamicsies. Uh, I, I help organize the homebrew market uh, event for for Carnival. Oh, cool. And yeah. so I invited them out, and they came out um, last year, and we've become really tight since. He works his day job as, uh, as with Fort Point, and he's got his own like kind of um, project in the works. Uh, but yeah, he he hit me up. And, uh, yeah, he sent, the thing is he sent me the recipe. I'm just trying to find it. I know that basically I know that he, they did a blend where they, they split the batch and they fermented, uh, you know, because of the Nordic inspired, um, kind of touch that you have on your malts. He, uh, split the batch and half of it was fermented with a kvike strain and half of it was lager. And then at the end of it, I, I believe they just ended up blending it. So Dude, I
1: just did a I I don't know if you saw one of my posts I did a, I did a raw Kvike lager yeast blend beer and it turned out awesome.
0: That sounds awesome.
1: I recommend doing it. Just <laughs> ferment ferment in like lager temperature, but you also get some of that Kvike flavor because well, you know if Kvike does ferment low, yeah. it turned out really cool. But anyway, I, go back to I was just saying the guys the
0: guys at um Icontid have isolated one of their strains with I believe it's uh bootleg biology and that's what's become now known as like the Oslo, Oslo. strain. Yeah. And that, yeah, and has, that has those logger qualities. Use, doesn't it? yeah. yeah. It's interesting because I think everybody, of course in the big beer market, everyone's like, Oh, we can turn around an IPA in two weeks instead of four weeks. Great. But right. the reality is it's like they're, they're miss They're, they're, they're missing the mark of what, what's makes these um, yeast like beautiful is like, yeah. it's it's not just about rushing. It's like, it's serving something fresh and it's, yeah, it's, uh, so, so it was interesting that now we're having the conversation of like a kvike that is cold, you know, um, fermented. So it's kind of cool. Or yeah, I, cooler. I,
1: I, I was wanting to kind of see what, cause that, that, the, the brewing tradition of, of raw ales and using juniper and all that kind of stuff was widespread through Europe, um, back in the day. It wasn't just in Nor in in, no. in in the Scandinavian countries. And so I was kind of I just wanted to see kind of what maybe that transition from Gruits and, and that style brewing and raw ales to a maybe, you know, when when the whenever who knows it's it's a mystery, whenever the lager yeast kind of
0: mutated. Yeah.
1: Yeah, mutated what that beer might have tasted like. So I did a hundred percent smoked beer, um, filtered through juniper branches, raw ale, but then um uh, fermented with with a lager and then i also threw i think horn and in there but it was like a 50 50 55 degrees something like that is what i 50 or 55 degrees is what i fermented at and it, it turned out really cool do you so,
0: have a juniper um species that is is good to use where you are
1: so we have eastern red cedar which is obviously not the common juniper but it is it is um usable it's definitely a different flavor from what i we were my wife and, and son and i went to norway last october um and our juniper definitely has a little bit more strong of a – our eastern red cedar definitely has a, a stronger flavor, um, a little more greeny flavor than the common juniper does. But right. um, it's pretty – but it is close. Um, so that's what I used. And we have like – I have about six or seven of those growing here on the at the malt house on the property that we live on.
0: So I found the so, recipe here. Um, 77% Pilsner malt, 17% um, Sugar Creek red oak smoked malt, 3% honey malt, uh Half a percent Carafa two, one point five percent Carimunich, and one percent acid malt, uh, bittered with Warrior, and a fifteen minute edition with Pearl, and it looks like he's they. So Felipe runs the R and D program. Um, uh, there they have they own a brew pub called Black Sands in the Hate uh, neighborhood of San Francisco, like Hate Ashbury. And they have a four-barrel system, so he was—he's basically doing the R&D there.
1: Oh, I—I so, did, I didn't know that part. Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: So they have a four-barrel split batch. It says half was fermented with uh, German lager yeast and half with Hornendahl Kveik, and it looks like it was bl- ended up being blended, and it was because of what's going on with COVID, it ended up being lagered for seven weeks. <laughs> so, so, I just opened it. So it's eighteen percent, I think, is what the number was of yours. It's it's got a really nice um, amber kind of burnt orange color. Um, I uh, Felipe kind of told me is like it's kind of like a smoked uh, anchor steam, which I'm excited about because like, yeah, that's I awesome. like I like yeah. a, I like a fresh anchor steam. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't. Um, sit on the shelf as well as i'd like but if being here in the bay area if you never had a anchor steam directly from the brewery you don't know what you're missing (laughs) uh yeah this is just a perfect amount of smoke on this one and you can definitely yeah how is it
1: is it is it is it just a nice touch of smoke it's got this like the
0: yeah so at let me see look make sure yeah it was yeah 17 percent
1: yeah Um, so yeah with our cold smoke malts um i always i kind of recommend people to whatever they're typically use use um regular you know smoke malts what they get from bigger companies to kind of bump it up a little bit because our cold smoke um it's a little bit lighter on the smoke but it definitely lets the aromas of different like woods and things kind of come through doing it cold with a cold smoke the sign house on the other hand is like a punch in the face with smoke (laughs) yeah
0: yeah yeah well this one i would say that um the red the red oak is there, um, it's also like a very good base recipe to like complement that, and mm-hmm. uh, I get a little bit of like a cinnamon spice kind of character.
1: Cool. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
1: That's I you smell that when you're smoking when you're smoking oak red oak red oak has this like uh really spicy flavor when you're smoking. It's like pretty almon,
0: cool. Like was it the almond spice almond pits like um cinnamon kind of
1: yeah. yep
0: yeah well felipe four point good job guys um like i said i wasn't expecting to get to actually taste any beers with caleb's malt so i'm stoked on this (laughs)
1: it's all over the place you can't get away from. yeah
0: yeah, so we, we 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 got away from that question which is like where can people find your products what's the like you know uh how far is your reach what's your major territory that you're kind of working in
1: yeah. So we're, we're located 30 minutes North of Indianapolis. Um, so our main, you know, our main area is definitely Indiana and Illinois. Um, we, work, we have a bunch of breweries in Chicago and Southern Illinois. Um, you know, we go into Ohio a bit, um, and down in Kentucky a bit. Um, but yeah, Indiana to Indiana and Illinois are definitely our two biggest States, um, within surrounding States, you know, here and there. Um, but then we also send all over the place. Like, like you just had a beer from San Francisco. Um, um we, have shipped i think last year i did the count at the end of last end of 2019 i think we shipped to 100 or we sent to 100 different breweries 100 um in um, five different countries um i can't remember how many different states but you know the 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 base malts that we make that that typically stays you know within our state or within illinois those two states um, and then the, the Nordic and the, and the smoked malts that kind of ships all over the place since we make such a unique, uh, unique variety of those things. Um, so yeah, all over the country and, and even outside of the country. So
0: Well, if you ever need a Guinea pig for one of your, um, your, your first attempts at a batch hit me up. Okay. I'll, I'll yeah. I just made a, <laughs> I
1: just made a bourbon barrel aged uh, chocolate malt. So I might send you some samples. I'm,
0: I'm totally down for that. I'm, it I'm brewing, is. <laughs> I'm brewing, uh you know, up two to three gallon homebrew batches here in my upstairs apartment in Oakland. It's, we don't have, uh, backyards and garages, uh, in Oakland to, to do like five, 10 gallon batches. So yeah. a, a little, a little bit with some local Admiral malt base, I'd be
1: happy. Yeah. I love those guys.
0: Yeah. I've, I've been lucky enough to, um, to do that tour a bunch. I've used their stuff in some releases I have coming up. Um, you know, so I'm doing mostly mixed culture barrel aged stuff. My my hope is to eventually get into be able to do some some cleaner, um, but still rustic, unfiltered farmhouse inspired stuff. Especially cool. like um, smoked beers are are big deal yeah. for me. But yeah, uh, yeah they've been great. Uh, their pilsner malt's great. Everything everything is really good from them.
1: And yeah. So there. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just go gonna on. say
0: their facility is really impressive. I was gonna say it is. If, if yeah, people it get really to Go check it
1: out. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, there's one school in North America that you can go to for, to learn how to malt and it's a two week long course in Winnipeg, Canada. That's it. That's like, that's literally the only, that's, that's all you could do back five years ago when we were trying to figure out how to malt, that was the only thing you could do. Uh, and, uh, the guys from Admiral and I took that two week long course together. So we spent two weeks in the beautiful city of Winnipeg, Canada together. So I love those guys.
0: Absolutely. Um, but, so can you describe a little bit, um, you're were, you're were mentioning that the the nordic style um smoked malts are a lot more aggressive and can you describe like the process by like traditional malting was done in these nordic countries like uh i could describe the stuff i have the books sitting in front of me but i've never been inside one i've been inside you know admiral and they've done a great tour but as far as being inside of, a, of a, a traditional Nordic malt house, could you kind of describe the process? And, and you mentioned it being sensory overload. So, but if we can give the listeners just a taste, that'd be great.
1: Yeah. So like I said, we, we, we turned, we have our, we have our main production malt house. And, and then what I wanted to do after that was really um, kind of, Dive into what really interested me, which, you know, if if you look at our logo, it's a it's a woman going down to the creek and collecting water from the creek to bring back to the to to her house to then malt with, um, which which traditionally back in the day, you know, before we had modern malting, we it would have been the first maltings would have been done either in wells or in creeks. Um, people would have taken baskets and filled grain, grain up and then put them in the wells and or put them in the creeks and let them germ or let them get wet and then germinate um, and then dry them out either in the sun or over an open fire. Um, that would have been done all over the place from um, the fertile crescent to, you know, Egypt to then into Europe. And, and, and then for some crazy reason it, 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 it that style of malting survived in a lot of these uh, Nordic countries. Um, and so I got really interested in that, you know, when Lars started doing a lot of his blogs and things like that a few years ago um, and being on the malt side of it, you know, everybody really got interested in Kvike and, and raw ales and things like that. But being, being from the malt background, I got incredibly interested in, in the style of maltings that was going on because people want to make these beers that these Norwegians are making or that the Scandinavian, or that the Swedish are making, or, you know, Gotlandstrika or, you know, whatever style of beer you're wanting to make, they're wanting to make these beers, but you can't do that without the malt because the malt is like the, the main thing of most of these beers. Yeah. kvike, you know, lends a lot of flavor to it, but um, a, a lot of some of the, you know, there, are they're most of the beers in, in these areas are, are malt forward. Um, and so I wanted to kind of, Number one, get back to the original roots of what I wanted to build when we when we first started, but knew that I couldn't make money doing it. You know, this is not a money maker. The sign house is not a money maker, but it's um, definitely a passion of mine. Um, and so I wanted to get back to those roots. And then number two, allow brewers to really experiment with the flavors that that come out of traditional malting. So what we do is we fill up burlap sacks. We've got a a uh, just a concrete trough. That we fill up with well water, um, throw the burlap sacks in there, get them wet, and then we floor malt on a burl on a on a concrete floor. The floor malting is is actually not um, in in modern modern malting in um, Norway. A lot of them actually malt on um, wire racks, um, so they're kind of just like a, a, a rectangle that they have some wire on. And is that um, the airflow but... underneath? Yeah, that's the air flow. So they don't have to turn it nearly as, as much. Um, but floor malting would have been done all over, all over Europe. Um, and so that's, that's even a more traditional version of it. But, um, before they had, you know, wire to, you know, wire mesh to be able to put the grain on, um, it would have been done on the floor. There, there are, um, excavations that have been done in all over the British Isles that have, they, they would actually would have stamped, um, just walked on dirt floors a bunch to really kind of compact it and then put some, um, uh, lime in or lye into to, uh, kind of help from any bacterial growth or anything like that. And they would germinate on that. Um, and then there are two ways to then dry out. So you've, you've got the germination done, you've got the steeping done, which is either in a well or a Creek. And then you got the germination done, which is either, uh, you know, mostly on the floor. Um, there would have been other ways to do it, but primarily on the floor, Um, and then you, have got to dry that grain down then afterwards. So, um, there are two ways to do that. It's either over a open fire, um, with wood, or if you're in Scotland or Ireland, you have peat, um, or, um, or you can, uh, sun and wind dry it, which was traditionally done originally in, um, the fertile Crescent area. That's how they originally started making malt, um, was then just to spread it out, um, really thinly, um, on the ground and let the sun and wind just kind of dry it out. Um, and that was how we came how how the original gozes were made how the original berliner vices were made how the original lambics were made anything any any of those white beers there were there beers back in the middle middle ages were classified as a brown beer or a white beer any white beer was made with wind malt um, and so we're making that here this in may and, and june we're going to uh, make a bunch of wind malt also. Awesome. So yeah, so we've got the the well steeped, the floor germinated, and then either dried over an open fire that we that we've got different woods from different regions. So um, you know Germany had is known for their beech wood smoked malt, Poland for the for the oak wood smoked wheat, which is Grdzicki malt. Um, Norway is the alder wood. Uh, we've got all kinds of different all kinds of different woods to to recreate a lot of the different flavors that were known all over. Um, the middle ages of, of central, of, of Europe. Um, so yeah, so it's, 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 you have all those different aromas. Like I said, when you're emptying the steep tank, you've got the, the almost banana nut bread um, when it's germinating the fresh cut cucumber. And then while it's drying, you have the, the cucumber mixed with this whatever wood we're making. So we, we smoke cherry wood, which has this beautiful sweet aroma. Um, and you have oak wood, which is almost like a fruity kind of smoke. Um, and then, um, Beechwood, which is like bacon, ham kind of thing. You know, it just it just depends on what we're making that, that what what aromas are kind of floating around in the air at that day. So,
0: inside the let me try to say the soinhus. Yeah, uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> inside, you're when you're actually um, setting up the malt to be smoked. Is it on the wooden planks that have lots of the holes d- drilled in, and then the fire is underneath? yeah okay so how often do you have to replace those uh boards because (laughs) i saw those i saw those pictures in both um mika and lars's book and i was like man that seems like such a fire hazard
1: (laughs) yeah it is so um so over there they only make about six batches at the most six batches a a year is what the is what a lot because it's it's a it's just for a farmer or for a family so they don't do a whole lot of batches on it we did two batches a week this winter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, they, uh, so the boards did,
0: last a month and then. Yeah.
1: No, I, I use them all throughout the, throughout the whole winter. Um, and they're still in pretty good shape. I've had to replace a few boards that have gotten pretty weak. Um, are you hydrating I, them between or what's the, no, I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's, it's controlling your fire. It's controlling and, and it's, and it's how far, you know, the, the, I've got, um, I've got a, a metal, just kind of a a, a heat diffuser, I guess. It's right. That's a that's a technical term for it. It's just a metal shield. Um it's just it's just it's just a piece of metal that sits above the fire just to kind of diffuse the heat it a little absorbs bit. Absorbs um,
0: the harsh yeah,
1: heat. and absorbs yeah. that really harsh heat. So um and then the and then the wooden boards are another um, I'm looking at it right now, probably three and a half, four feet above that. So um that, that as long as you keep your fires not crazy hot then um then the, the wood planks are fine um Friendly, now i am going to try to make some diastatic brown malt in this and i'm a little bit worried about fires when i do that so because yeah. um, you got to get really hot for that so um but that's traditionally how the the original brown malt would have been made for porters and things is over an oak fire or a hornbeam fire and you literally are are turning it by by hand with the smoke rising up in your face for about an hour or two just to get that brown color. So I'm going to try to do that this spring. (laughs) Good luck, man. Yeah. Um, I'm a little worried about fire for that one for sure. I think Um, that's a, we'll see how it goes.
0: That's a reasonable concern. Um, so the last thing I want to kind of touch on before I let you go is obviously, um, hops have always gotten the, the biggest, the most attention in, uh, Craft beer, <clears throat> you know. There's also a whole subsection in the wild, uh, specifically in the wild beer world, where you know, obviously yeast and fermentation is um, kind of valued. Do you feel like um, there's going to be an opportunity for malt to kind of have its have its uh, time in the spotlight? Do you think that? Um, the, United, you know, the craft beer in the United States is going to um, eventually kind of fall into similar trends as older beer cultures, or do you think we're always going to kind of like try to find something sexy and exploit it? Like what do you, what do you think about like um, malt's position in how craft beer is marketed and sold?
1: Yeah. So five years ago when I started this, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you that that malt didn't nobody cared about malt like I would go in and talk to brewers and they really had no idea like they could tell you any variety of hops and in their alpha acids and all that stuff but when you actually talk to them about malt and go over a malt analysis they can't tell you a single thing on a malt analysis um that's changing um, for sure um so I think kind of Kind of what i've done here i've kind of separated i've got two different worlds here i've got the modern malt house that's making malt to you know make whatever style beer you're wanting to make and then i've also got this old world malt house that we're making really traditional malts and i think the, the craft beer industry is going to do the same thing i think we're going to have this kind of split between brewers that are making like you said the sexy pastry stouts and 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 hazy ipas and things like that but i'm also seeing an incredibly high amount of, of brewers that are opening up this year and, and next year that are getting, making a ton of um, really traditional, either um, traditional uh, English ales or traditional lagers, you know, barrel aged, you know, wood aged lagers or these Nordic ales. Um, I, I think that we're going to have this, this kind of Renaissance, I guess, of, of, of traditional brewing. Um, I think we've pushed, I think American brewers have pushed the uh, pushed the limits of what what beer is, and I think we need to go backwards now to kind of kind of move forwards. And I think that's happening quite a bit, um, and I hope you know that's that's what we're that's what my, my goal is is to get a lot of people making good lagers again, and, and get a lot of people making these Nordic ales and things like that. So we'll see. I, I'm I'm really hopeful for it. Two two or three years ago, no, I wouldn't have said at all. It was just all about the hops, and like you said, maybe some you know, some guys that are really experimenting with yeast. Nobody really cared about malt, but man, it's amazing. 2019, I I had so many brewers start reaching out to me about, about uh, making malt forward, really, um, really caring about what, what the malt actually contributes. Um, I just read, as as you said, it's pretty common over in, in Europe. I just read a really good article about, I can't even remember the name of the brewery. I just posted it on Facebook, but about a brewery in um, southern Germany in Bavaria, really close to Salzburg, on um, the German side. But about how how great his pilsner and you're his talking about is.
0: Sean Rammer, yes. So thank
1: Eric you. Eric Eric Toft.
0: Okay, I'm I'll, full disclosure. I was totally lurking your Facebook. I'm gonna add yeah. you now because now it's weird if I don't. So yeah. here's the thing: is like you you posted that article from Beer and Brewing about Eric Toft, who's from Wyoming, and he is brewing at a like eighth generation German brewery called Sean Rammer. Rammer has been my favorite lager on earth. And it was one of those things where not, not a lot of people had heard about it. And I, and, and I'm not saying that in like a, Oh, I'm ahead of the curve thing. It's like, no, it's just like, they're yeah. not a popular right. brewery. Uh, they, I happened to, to work at a craft beer spot in like a bottle shop in Sacramento and we sold their bottles and i was like this i've held every pilsner and every Festbier, helles to that standard That's um, awesome. and so i found out to find out that American, an american was brewing was incredible but yeah. Uh, yeah you posted that article and i sent that out to like my best friend who's kind of somebody i want like for altbrow long term to be like he's more of a technical brewer i'm just a fucking home brewer um yeah. I think I have a decent palate and I can blend, but I don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to brewing. So I sent that to him and it actually breaks down their steps, but yeah, the, impor- right. the importance of malt to him. Was- right.
1: The importance of malt and the importance of process to him. Yeah. And that's, that's what my, like you, you, we have a lot of craft malt houses and a lot of people that are always talk about terroir, and you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's great. Like, I, I, I think that there is some terroir in, in barley varieties a little bit, but really, it comes down to the process of the maltster and how he processes it, and and and, and what goes and and the ver- and the variety of barley too, and I think that's really came through in that article that that he talked about is the process of how the malt was made, and then the process of how he treats that malt when he's brewing. You know, he does well, he does it's, full it's step. Like
0: it's admittedly under modified, and he was right. saying like he wanted he didn't want the over modified stuff. Right. Yeah, and, 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 and that seems to and be that's... that seems to be the difference between like big giant corporate breweries and people who really value like flavor is they're like right like on the one hand you could argue that this under modified malt is less efficient if that's what you're trying to go for like you're putting it in this category of efficiency but in reality it's like it's those little i've always felt this about beer especially like farmhouse beer that the little inefficiencies and imperfections that that a brewer has to be really creative to work through is what creates like a really special flavor
1: 100% 100% and that's what i love about the sign house the, the that we built is is it is the most um in uh, inefficient. Cons- <laughs> uh in, 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 inefficient and inconsistent malt that there is but it is like the most traditional and the most flavorful malt that we've ever made like the most like i we, there's a lab that we send all of our malt He's at Harvard College. Aaron mcleod is like he's the man about uh, he knows everything about malt. He he worked in Canada and did um, all the analysis, most of the analysis for all the barley going out of Canada and blah blah blah. But anyway, he does all the analysis for um, pretty much most of the craft malt houses in North America, and and he he always tells me he's like I know when your malt's coming in. He's like <laughs> it is so it's so different from any malt that we've ever had come into this lab. It's just so unique, and that's what. And that's what it is. It's it's just this beautiful, inconsistent, inefficient, but flavorful and and, and amazing different malt. Um, and that's that's what that's what makes really good malt forward beers. And yeah, that's what that article like. When I read that article, I was like, that's that's it. Like it's craft malt. It's it's process in the brewing. Um, you know, he does double uh, double decoction and triple decoction. I can't remember, but um, I actually but yeah, think,
0: I actually think it was a single. I, was it single? I think that okay. he's just very particular about yeah. the temperatures and everything. But yeah, yeah, he yeah, the whole process is written down. Check out Beer and Brewing and just Google Eric Toff, T O F T or Sean Rammer. And uh yeah. They're they're my favorite lager producers. Um, he, you know, here in Northern California, Russian River uh makes you know the STS Pilsner and we and Vinny has said that his inspiration for STS Pils was Sean Rammer Pils. Yeah and yep. In that article, uh, Matt Brindelson from Firestone said it was an inspiration. Even uh Yvonne Debats or Debates from uh Dale S N said it was he's like his favorite that Eric Toff is his favorite brewer. So yeah. Check out Sean Rammer. I'm not trying to so, I, yeah. and to I don't even think they buy question. they don't buy your pro- they don't buy your product, but you know what? We're here to promote no, 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 good no. beer, so
1: yeah, and that's 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 why that's why I wanted to bring that up. Because to answer your question, it's I think I think brewers are heading that way. I think we are gonna see a split in breweries. People are gonna chase the, the, the sexy stuff and make, you know, the the fruited Berliner Vices and the and the pastry stouts and then people and then other brewers are really gonna kinda go back to making the really good beers that are that are based around craft, you know, malt that's made um, specifically for them, which is what craft malt can do. Um, and then, and then the process behind, behind brewing that malt. So I think that's a great way to wrap this,
0: uh, interview up. I think that's a great, uh, uh, you know, I think that's the point. So, yeah. Caleb, thank you so much for taking time. Like I said, you're busy, uh, you know, running a business, you're a father of two. And, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me
1: today. Yeah, my pleasure. Cool. If you ever get out to uh Midwest swing on by. I, I mean, so.
0: I already showed my wife uh, like pictures and videos of your place. And she's like, yeah, I want to go. She's a, <laughs> she's a pastry chef by trade. And so just malt kind of serves a different purpose for her, you know, yeah. but um, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's very, I think you're doing great work. And um, I just, uh, I think that, my, you know, my whole goal with this podcast is just to shine a light on people doing
1: stuff I think is really cool. So, cool. um, well, if you come, if you come in a little, you know, t- give, give me a few months, but we're yeah hoping to maybe, a little, maybe a year. <laughs> yeah. We're hoping to build a little test, uh, test brew house out a little okay. more brew house going on here with wood fire, copper kettles, all, all fermented in wood and all that kind of stuff. And, so, and um, of course, we'll that going.
0: and of course, if you're ever in Northern California or central California, uh let me know and we'll yeah uh, i will
1: because i've been trying to i keep telling the guys at admiral Malt that i'll be out there to see them so i might swing i might make that happen if you
0: could get them if you could convince them to make a smoked malt i'd be shocked and um stoked (laughs) i'd be so stoked
1: all right well it's good talking to
0: you thanks caleb i appreciate it